Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Hey, I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 28. We'll get there in just a second and read our text. But before we do, I just want to encourage you. We're here today to celebrate and worship Jesus Christ, and we do that because of the power of the resurrection, the authority given to us through the name of Jesus Christ. We need to understand we don't worship because the government allows it. We don't worship because uh, laws allow us. We worship because the resurrection absolutely demands we worship the King of Kings. Around the world today, there are believers worshiping God. Believers worshiping God in governments that are oppressive, where persecution is rampant. Believers are worshiping God who've never heard of a First Amendment. But we need to understand we are here to worship Him, not because of what the government does or doesn't say, but because Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Turn to somebody next to you and say amen. That's truth. Amen. So what are we seeing around us in the world today? Well, we're seeing a setup, and I hope you realize that. You know, we spend about a year in the book of Revelation, and we walk through the prophetic teachings of the Word of God, and we are seeing a setup for God's prophecy to be fulfilled, perhaps even in the day in which we are living. It's not a conspiracy, it's a setup for biblical prophecy to be fulfilled. We need to understand that the day is coming when there will be one world government that will be antagonistic toward the church of Jesus Christ. We need to understand there will come a time when persecution around the world against God's church is wholesale and rampant. I've been telling you for six years that the way we do church is going to change. We're seeing that right now. I pray we never go back to what we call normal, but we follow God, we press in, we pursue what He wants to do in our hearts and our lives so that we can reach more than we've ever reached before with Jesus Christ. I think there's coming a day when we won't worship in sanctuaries, but it will be in homes and coffee shops and secret places. So we need to prepare for that now so when the day does come, we are ready and we don't miss a beat. We don't miss a step, but we continue to tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to understand God is using this current circumstance to redefine, redefine His church, to redefine how we worship Him, to redefine what we call uh, corporate worship. He's calling His ecclesia. And if you'll remember from the study of that word, that literally means a group of people with common beliefs. His ecclesia to join together wherever we may be and exalt Jesus Christ. We can't allow a building to define us. Rather, we are defined by Jesus Christ and His name written upon our hearts and upon our lives. Yes, change is happening. Yes, change will continue to occur. But we need to understand we either embrace what God is doing or is leading us, or we're going to stagnate and die if we stay where we've been. It's time to move forward, to be creative, to find ways to stay together, to encourage each other. Thank you to those of you who have been reaching out to other believers and then letting me know the results of those calls. I appreciate it so very, very much. Continue to do that. Would you call three or four people this afternoon and pray with them, encourage them, lift them up through the Word, and by God's presence and God's power, working through your life to encourage them. So this morning, let's talk about the resurrection. 
Let's talk about what it means to me and what it means to you and the realities we find in this great biblical truth. Before we turn to the scripture, a few weeks ago, the leadership got together and they were talking about who should we get to preach on Resurrection Sunday? Somebody said, well, we should get the best preacher in the world. So they called him. He said, no. Then someone said, we should get the smartest preacher in the world. So they called him. He said, no. Then someone said, we should get the best-looking preacher in the world. So they called him, and he said no. Finally, someone said, well, we could have our pastor preach on Resurrection Sunday. So when they asked me, I had to say yes. I mean, I already turned them down three times. It's okay to laugh, all right? That's a good joke. We celebrate the resurrection because the power and the authority we have through Jesus Christ, the authority we have and the power we stand upon comes through the cross and his resurrection. So today, let's look at the scripture, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. The Bible records it this way. It says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus, who has, was crucified. Now go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. You will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Father, right now, would you anoint your word? Anoint the preaching of your word? We know it's through the foolishness of preaching that men and women are saved. So right now, we pray that your words would emanate from this pulpit, that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would accompany each one, and that today, before this service closes, men and women, boys and girls, would come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. I want to talk to you about four things this morning, four things the resurrection means to me, four realities we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, I believe the resurrection means there is hope in a hopeless world. It reminds me of the story of a father and his teenage son living in Mexico City. They got in a very, very violent argument. The teenage son ended up leaving the home, vowing never to return. The days went to weeks, the weeks went to months, and the father didn't hear from his son. Finally, in desperation, wanting to mend that relationship, he put an ad in the paper, and it said, Paco, please come and meet me in the park. I love you. I forgive you. Much to his surprise at the appointed time when Paco was supposed to meet his father in that park, he showed up, and there were over 200 Pacos waiting there to meet what they thought was their father. That story illustrates to us the fact that there are so many people in this world who are searching for forgiveness, for hope, for meaning. And the good news of the resurrection is this. The empty tomb provides hope in a hopeless world. The empty tomb proves that Jesus Christ overcame every obstacle that Satan placed in front of mankind. If you read Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, verses 20 through 21, Jesus said, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
In his name, the nations will put their hope. There's a lot of bruised reeds in our world today. There's a lot of smoking wicks in our world today. Maybe you've been bruised by the trials of life. Maybe it was a word spoken to you in harshness or in anger. Maybe it was the betrayal of a spouse. Maybe it was a coworker or a friend who cut you off at the knees. It doesn't matter what caused the bruise. There's a lot of bruised reeds walking around in the world today. A lot of us carrying hurts and wounds that we've never asked God to heal, help us to recover from so that we could move on. Or maybe you're like one of those uh, smoldering wicks. At one time, your fire and your flame was bright for God. But now, for some reason, there's barely any signs of life there. Oh, I've heard the stories you have too. Maybe it was a pastor or a board member or a church at large that hurt you and turned you off to the Lord. May I tell you, that wasn't Jesus that did that to you. It was carnal people bound in their sinful ways. You need to forgive them, move past it, and come back to God. You need to let God reignite his fire in your life today so that you can be and become all that he's called you to be. Stop putting yourself on the bench. Maybe you are that smoldering wick. But it's time to get back in the fight, get back in the game, because the resurrection says there's hope when you're hopeless. You need to understand today, Jesus Christ died for you. He died so that you could not only be forgiven, here's the key, but so that you could forgive others as well. So put that behind you. I mean, we look around us and society is filled with people who are smoldering wicks, who at one time were in love with God, following God, on fire for God, but something happened. Someone said something. Something transpired to diminish that flame of God in their life. Stop allowing people and circumstances to keep you from God's best in your life. Hope comes through the resurrection, and there's hope for you today. You too can return and reignite that passion of God that was in your life. The Bible's filled with the example of bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. You can think about the woman caught in the very act of adultery, standing before a crowd of accusers, and they brought her to Jesus, and they said, the law says she should be stoned to death for her actions. What do you say? You remember the story? Jesus bent down and began writing in the sand. He didn't answer them a word. He didn't say a thing to them. And then it says a strange thing occurred. One by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they dropped the rocks, and they begin to walk away. We don't know what he wrote in the sand, but maybe he wrote, you too need to be forgiven. You too have sinned and transgressed the law. You too are worthy of judgment and death. We don't know what he wrote, but what we know is that when everybody was gone, he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And she looked at him for the first time in her life. She was able to say, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There is hope for a hopeless world because of the resurrection. Because Jesus died and rose again for the dead, you and I have hope for tomorrow regardless of where our past may have taken us. Or maybe you remember the story of the leper who was put to the outside of town because he couldn't contaminate the rest of the city. And when Jesus touched him, the leprosy was absolutely gone, and he was made whole. Or maybe you remember the blind man 
who was sitting on the road outside Jericho. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And with that cry, Jesus opened his eyes and his life was revolutionized. There's a lot of bruised wicks. There's a lot of smoldering wicks and bruised reeds in our world today. We need to understand that God wants us to know the power of the resurrection. Or how about the woman who had had an issue of blood for eight years, been to every doctor, spent every dime she had, and was none the better, the Scripture says. But when she reached out in faith and just touched the hem of his garment, she didn't ask him to heal her. She didn't make a big public plea. But in the midst of the crowd, she touched him. And when she touched him, she was made every bit whole. Can I encourage you today? You don't have to walk an altar. You don't have to raise your hand. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me. Change me. Reignite your fire and your passion in my heart and in my life today. Bruised reeds and smoldering wicks are woven throughout the Scripture. Jesus said, a bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick I will not snuff out. In my name you'll receive hope. What did the Scripture say? In His name the nations will put their hope. It's in His name and the power of His name that you have hope today, that I have hope today. We all have a past. We've all made mistakes. We've all been hurt. But the good news is there's hope for a hopeless world through the power of the resurrection. Say amen. That's good stuff. Amen. We need to understand if Jesus Christ was powerful enough to come out out of the grave, if he was powerful enough to overcome death and hell, then he's powerful enough to remove anything from your life that is stifling your hope. And he's powerful enough to bring life to you today. The resurrection validates every promise Jesus ever made. It's good news that gives hope and light in a darkened world. When everything else looks bleak, when it appears there's no way out, when you're living in Friday and the crucifixion has just occurred, it's the resurrection that lets you know Sunday's coming. Hope is coming. Change is coming. What you see now will not always be because of the power of the resurrection. The resurrection means hope in a hopeless world. Secondly, the resurrection invites skeptics. It invites scoffers. It invites doubters. Come look and see. Check it out. You see, the resurrection gives good news, and that good news enables us to take the next step. And that's to determine, is this really true? Kind of reminds me of the little four-year-old boy whose daddy gave him two quarters for offering in Sunday school. He held him in his fist. His daddy dropped him off. When he picked him up at the end of Sunday school, he still had those two quarters clenched in his fist. His daddy said, son, why do you still have your offering? I told you to give that to Jesus. The little boy said, he never shows up down here. See, that's the way a lot of us are. We think, well, maybe that's true for somebody else, but he hadn't shown up in my life. He invites the skeptics. He invites the doubters. He invites the scoffers. Matter of fact, the scripture we read this morning records the fact that when the angels came to the tomb, or when the ladies came to the tomb, the angels said to them, come and see the place where he lay. Come and see the evidence. Can I challenge you this morning to look at the evidence? God invites us to do that. He's not afraid of scrutiny. He passes every test. 
Look at the evidence. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes are there and undisturbed. Look at the evidence. A 2,000-pound stone had been rolled away from the entrance to that tomb. Look at the evidence. Over 515 eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. Here's something interesting. If we invited all of those 515 people into our sanctuary this morning, and we said, you have 15 minutes to tell the story, here's the mic. And if each one of them, the 515 eyewitnesses to his resurrection, took 15 minutes to tell their story, what they saw, what they experienced, why they believe that Jesus is no longer dead but alive again, we would be here 15 minutes for all 515 of them, if we gave them that time, we would be here until next Friday morning listening to their testimonies. Oh, come on, folks. Look at the evidence. Look at the proof. He is no longer dead. He is risen. The Scripture tells us again and again that the soldiers didn't have an answer for the empty tomb. We see that the Sanhedrin and the high priest were quickly trying to make up a backstory about why he was no longer there. Oh, they stole him. They carried his body away. Well, my question is, if the disciples stole the body, why did they bother leaving the grave clothes? They would have taken the time to do that. How absurd. How foolish. That argument holds no water. Look at the evidence. The tomb is yet empty. Look at the evidence. 515 people saw him alive after his death. Look at the evidence. The stone was rolled away. I've come to tell you this morning, the empty tomb invites skeptics. You say, I don't believe it. Well, read it, study it, search it out, <coughs> and see what God will prove to you, that the empty tomb really is the reality, that the resurrection really did occur. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed to him against that day. Notice Paul didn't say, I know what I have believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. He experienced Jesus Christ. He experienced the resurrected king, and he could say, I know in whom I have believed. It's very important that you know what you believe, but it's more important that you know who you believe. And I believe Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I've experienced his resurrection power, and I believe he invites every skeptic and every scoffer to come to him today. Number three, I believe the empty tomb tells us and says to me that we should tell someone. We can't be silent. We have to tell others. After the angel invited the women into the tomb to see the fact that he was in fact risen from the dead, then the angel said, go tell. Go tell his disciples. Go tell them the good news. Go share what you've seen and what you've experienced. The command was given to the ladies at the tomb. Jesus himself said to them before he ascended into heaven that we should go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's interesting to me, this powerful command that was first issued by an angel of God at the tomb of Jesus Christ is unheeded by so many believers, is ignored by so many in the church, is passed over as not for me. 
We say, well, that's the pastor's job. That's the job of the evangelist. That's not my job. No, friend, that's our job. It's our responsibility. The resurrection demands that we tell somebody Jesus Christ is alive. Remember the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus stopped at the well outside the city of Sychar? The Samaritan woman came to him, and she began talking to him about worship and why the Jews were different from the Samaritans. And then Jesus told her everything she had ever did. He read her mail. And after he read her mail and revealed to her that he, in fact, was the Messiah, the Scripture says she went back into the city, and she said to all the men of the city, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done, and yet he loves me anyway. Oh, come on, somebody. Tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Share the good news of the resurrection with a hopeless world. Let God use you as an ambassador. Let God use you as a spokesperson. Let God use you to share the good news of his resurrection. You know, in times of crisis, people's hearts are open. They are ready to receive some good news. We're living in a time of crisis right now. Sometimes I'm almost amused by the responses and the reactions of our community and people in our society to the coronavirus. They are scared to death. I mean, I saw one lady made a post last night, this is life and death. Look, folks, the media has blown this way out of proportion. I'm not saying that it's not life and death for some people, but for the majority of us, it's an opportunity to share Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity to declare there's hope in a hopeless world. It's an opportunity that says, even if you're infected, I know a healing Jesus who can touch you and make you every bit whole. Come on, get out of your, get out of your closet. Get out of your enclosure. Get out of your safe space. And I'm not saying leave your house. I'm saying get out of yourself and tell somebody that Jesus Christ has risen. And because of the resurrection, we have power to face any obstacle, any circumstance that comes against the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ. Tell somebody. People are looking for answers. They're searching for hope. They want something solid to hang on to right now. Well, the most solid thing I know is this, Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, he rose again from the dead. And if he can do that, he can do anything you need him to do today. So tell somebody, he's alive, he's real, he's powerful. He's my Lord and Savior. He'll forgive you, cleanse you. He'll overcome your fear and bring you courage in the middle of an epidemic or a pandemic. Tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And then number four, the empty tomb means to me he is alive. The empty tomb screams he is alive. Oh, think about it with me. I can take you to Medina, Saudi Arabia, and well, if they'd let me in, they won't let me in, but if they did, I could show you the tomb of the great prophet Muhammad. He died, he's buried, and he's still there. I could take you to China and show you the ashes, the cremated remains of Buddha. He died, he was buried, and he's still there. I'd take you and show you the grave of Confucius. He died, he was buried, and he's still there. I could show you the grave of Joseph Smith. He died, he was buried, and he's still there. But I can also take you to Jerusalem. 
I can take you to that garden tomb. I can point to you the fact that we think this is where he laid. And I can show you, look inside. He's no longer there. The tomb is empty. He is risen. The resurrection shouts, he is alive. He is alive. He is alive. Only faith in Jesus is valid. Faith in any other entity, power, or religion is invalid. Only faith in Jesus is valid because Jesus is the only one who rose again from the dead. Every other religion is based on man's teaching and man's revelation. But the Christianity that we know, believers in Jesus Christ who follow him, have our foundation on the fact that Jesus is alive. He is no longer dead. He is risen. I like the way one of the gospel's writers said it. He said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's no longer here. He is risen. Oh, come on, folks. Rejoice today. Jesus is alive. That ought to put a smile on your face, a spring in your step, a shout in your voice. You ought to want to dance and sing because Jesus is alive. He's no longer dead. He is risen. Reminds me of the little kindergarten Sunday school class, and the teacher was teaching them on Resurrection Sunday about the resurrection. She said to those kids in the class, what do you think Jesus' first words were after he rose again from the dead? Silence across the room. She asked it again. What do you think Jesus' first words were after he rose again from the dead? Finally, one little girl held up her hand, and the teacher said, yes, you know what he said when he rose again from the dead? And the little girl said, yeah, I think so. She jumped to her feet and goes, ta-da, that's what he said. I kind of doubt that's what he said, but it makes a pretty good point, don't you think? This is a ta-da moment. Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He is risen from the dead. <clears throat> you see, the resurrection is just not a thing that we believe. It's the central thing. It's the basis, the foundation for our faith in a living God. Everything that we believe hinges on the resurrection. And when you realize that, when life smacks you in the face, you can stand tall. You can stand strong. You can stand in faith and say, this too shall pass because it's not greater than death. And Jesus has already conquered death. Everything hinges on the resurrection. <coughs> In our deepest and darkest moments, when we think things will never get any better, the resurrection gives us hope that it can. The resurrection gives us hope that we are living on Sunday morning. We are living in Sunday morning. Friday is past. The crucifixion is over. He's laid in the grave, but then on Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead. It is the resurrection that is a central thing to our faith. Years ago, there was a family circus cartoon that came out in the paper on Good Friday. It showed Billy and one of his siblings standing in front of a candy store, looking at all the candies and all the eggs and all the stuff that was available. Billy turns and looked at his sibling and says, this is good, but it's going to get gooder. I've come to tell you this morning, it gets gooder when we believe in the power of the resurrection, when we put our life in the power of the resurrection. 
This is Resurrection Sunday. This is a day of victory. This is a day of good news. This is a day of renewed hope. This is a day when you may not be assured, but you can be assured that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Oh, what a difference a day makes. Think about it. On Saturday, the disciples were hopeless. Their dreams, their aspirations, their visions were gone. But come Sunday morning at daybreak, they heard news they couldn't believe. It was incredulous. It was impossible by their way of thinking. Someone said, well, they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw Jesus raise the widow of Nain's son from the dead. They knew it could happen. Yeah, but they thought it was him doing it for others. They didn't think there was anyone that could do it for him. You see, they doubted the power of Jesus Christ. Because when that stone rolled away, he came out alive, no longer dead, but living through the power of God at work in his life. Today, be excited. It's Sunday morning, and we have reason to rejoice. Jesus is alive. I want to close with this story. Kay Author, and many of you know her name. She's a Christian author and teacher, well-known throughout most of the world. She talked about the fact in her book that when she was in her 20s, she was not serving God, didn't know God, didn't care about God. She was married to a man who was a manic depressive, and she ended up having an affair in this relationship. When she went home and told her husband about it, he told her he was going to commit suicide. And she said to him, well, I hope you do. I could use the insurance money. How crass, how hard, how evil that was. And sure enough, he did commit suicide. He hung himself. She says, when I was driving away from the cemetery, I felt a total failure. I failed as a wife. I failed as a woman. I failed as a mother. I failed as a person in this life. A total failure. She said, then I lifted my hand in my fist, and I shook it at the heavens, and I said, to hell with God. And that's what she meant. But she said, I discovered years later that that's exactly what Jesus did for me. He went to hell. He paid the price. He took the keys, and he rose again from the dead. Friend, I'm telling you here this morning, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you've been. There is a Savior who is no longer dead but is living, and he longs to know you, to forgive you, to renew you, to restore you, to bring you into a relationship with him that he never wants to diminish or pass away. See, I know there are some listening this morning, watching this morning, who need grace, who need forgiveness, who need hope. I guarantee you, you will find it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, you simply need to make a decision. And that decision is to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're saying right now, I'd really like to do that, but I don't know how. Well, the Bible tells us how. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, if we believe in our heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So right now, would you simply pray this prayer with me? You need to be forgiven. You need to know a risen Savior. You need hope in a hopeless world. Just pray this prayer with me. Pray it out. Dear Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. I believe that you're my Savior, and I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Change my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. 
take away the pain, the hurt, the anxiety, the bitterness, the hatred, the evil, the sin that resides in me, and create in me a clean heart, O God. Let your Holy Spirit dwell in me. Save me, deliver me, forgive me. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, looking to him in faith, he's done exactly what you've asked him to do. He's forgiven you. He's written your name, the Bible says, in the Lamb's book of life. And right now, according to the scripture, the angels in heaven are throwing a party. They're rejoicing because you came into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. He loves you. He longs to pour himself into you. Can I encourage you today to continue to open your heart and receive all that he has for you. Jesus was buried, but on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Can you embrace him, receive him, accept him, and rejoice in him? God bless you, church. We love you. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 1030 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.